really appreciate Brad's prayers and his prayer. You always know when Brad's praying that it's not a canned, rehearsed prayer, that he is speaking directly to the Father, and I just love praying with him. I appreciate what he said in his prayer, among the many things that whenever we are engaged in the study of God's Word, that it be applicable and not just the sharing of information. I also appreciate the kind words about the sermon this morning. I want you to know that I always care how you feel and how it's going. But there was a sense of humor in which every time I ask after services, how are you doing? I just waited to see what you would say. (laughs) Nobody complained. Not that you usually do, but you certainly didn't this morning. In our text of Mark chapter 2... In verses 1 through 12, I want to make some observations before we look at the four characters who form the center of our study tonight. As we look at that particular text in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, one of the things we observe is that Jesus is in the house. We're reminded from Jesus that our presence cannot be hidden. Jesus never was anywhere very long but that his presence was known. Think about something that happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, when Jesus goes into the temple and there he finds those that are selling the sheep and the doves and the oxen and they have the money changers who are sitting there in the temple. And Jesus goes in in righteous indignation and he drives them out and he drives out the the sheep and the dove and and the oxen and he turns over the tables and the money. And he says... Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples took note of that. And they thought of the scripture that said, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. When Jesus was somewhere, people knew about it. Whether it was in the house of the Lord or in somebody's house. But I think about the end of the New Testament where John is recording the words of Jesus to the seven churches of Asia. And here is Jesus, the one with the power to create the stars across trillions of miles of outer space. The one who, when he wanted water, could cover three-fourths of the earth with it. The one who dotted the hills with a thousand cattle and put cattle on a thousand hills. That he stands in Revelation 3 and verse 20 and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. When it comes to our dwelling place, we have the power to let him in. Or to keep him outside. But as we look further into our text, by way of introduction, we also find that many were gathered together. Isn't it interesting? And it causes us to ask the question, why? This is early in Jesus' ministry, and it's obvious that he's very popular. And there are so many people present on this occasion that nobody else can get in. May I suggest to you that people loved Jesus And they still love Jesus for the same reason. And that is because in Jesus they see somebody who really cares. When we look at the people who were gathered there, in fact, we might give several answers as to why there were so many gathered there. First of all, it was because Jesus had something to say. How often do we read throughout the Gospels that when Jesus got finished speaking, that they were astonished and amazed at his teaching because he spoke as one having authority. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 29. They saw that Jesus had the answers to their problems. But another thing that you'll observe with me is that he spoke in their language. 
That's something that Mark says later on in Mark chapter 12 in verse 37. You see, Jesus was not interested in impressing them with big words, but with truth. He had a message that they needed, and they were drawn to him because of that. But also, many gathered together because no one had what Jesus had. Nobody could offer what he could. It's ironic that in John chapter 6, they wanted the bread, the loaves and the fishes, and Jesus was not going to provide that anymore. And he teaches this very difficult teaching, and many of the disciples turn back and they follow him no more. And Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. On this occasion, however deep their motivation went for truth, Many were gathered together, and there's so many reasons why. But as we look at our text by way of introduction, we also see that there was no room to receive. Now, this was in a very literal sense, that there was no more room through the door. But where Christ abides, there's no room for a lot of things. In fact, anything that's contrary to His purpose and contrary to His nature. By way of observation, we also find in our text that Jesus preached the Word unto them. Every gospel preacher is uniquely related to Jesus Christ. Jesus saw that preaching was necessary and important. I find it interesting that there are some who would minimize the importance of preaching, but not Jesus. Jesus took occasion after occasion to preach. But as we look at this text by way of introduction, we notice something else that is there, and that is that they came unto him, and they brought unto him one who was a paralytic. It reminds us that some never come to Jesus unless they are brought. And it also shows us that when somebody really wants to be helped, they won't let anything stand in the way of that. They won't be ashamed to have someone to help them to come to Jesus. By way of introduction, we also see that they were unable to get to him, the text says, because of the crowd. And sometimes in coming to Jesus, we have got to uh, encounter difficulties and obstacles We've got to overcome those. And then we also find by way of introduction that Jesus said unto the sick man. Now as we see the chaos that is occurring on this occasion, the roof has been removed and a disturbance has been caused. Anytime something out of the ordinary happens in the assembly, it can cause quite a bit of interest and a stir. I remember that we had a young man who was trying to get started in the magician's business And we tried to encourage him to come, even if he had to come straight from work. He was Shasta the Clown. And he showed up one evening with his clown suit on. And the little children had their faces to the back with mothers holding them. And a lot of children got in trouble that day because they said, Mom, there's a clown. It caused a disturbance. Now, I just continued to preach on the best I could. There have been other occasions where there have been things to interrupt the service. But can you imagine preaching and the roof comes off? And there's all this disturbance. Jesus, a lesser man than Jesus, would have resented that, but not Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus, when that man was lowered down, spoke to that man. How impressed we are that even though Jesus was focusing on the group, Jesus never lost sight of the individual and his needs. And we are impressed with the idea that Jesus does not deal with us in groups, but one by one. So many things impress us there. But I want you to focus your attention on Mark chapter 2 and verse 5. It says that Jesus saw four men and he saw their faith. 
These four men are some of the unnamed heroes of the Bible. Why are these men to be our heroes? Let me give you a few reasons why. Number one, these men are heroes because they were four men who forgot themselves. If you look at what it says here, they are men who went out of their way. And it's obvious that they had to go to extra time and they had to go to extra effort. And it reminds us that we need to be inconvenienced sometimes in order to accomplish the will of God. There are at least two times in the book of Mark where the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples were so busy that they did not even have time to stop and eat because of their ministering. We need to be willing to make whatever sacrifices are necessary for the cause of Christ. Jesus taught this in teaching the importance of discipleship. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24 is one of the places where he says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, the apostle Paul embodied this because he said, I have two things in front of me, two prospects. Either I'm going to live or die. But if I die, it's gain because I'm going to be with Christ. But if I live, I'm going to go on serving. I find it very interesting when you look at some of the demographics of elections and of the voting populace. I just saw this past week that the numbers in Colorado are split evenly. That one-third of all voters in Colorado are Republicans, and one-third are Democrats, and one-third are undecided voters. It's interesting, there's been a lot of attention that's paid to those voters, and a lot of times when they are interviewed What they say, in essence, can be boiled down to this. I'm looking for the candidate who will do the most for me. It's a far cry from our president that was assassinated 50 years ago this past Friday in the speech that he once made where he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. So often when it comes to the church that we're going to attend, we may approach that by saying, what can that group do for me? But instead we need to say, Lord, where do you need me to be? Where can I be of the most help? When we seek that way, we're like these four unnamed heroes. They were men who forgot themselves. It wasn't about what could happen for them. And so we remember that if we will forget ourselves While remembering others, we'll lose ourselves in finding Christ. These four heroes helped a friend without considering what it would cost them. But then second, these men were heroes because they were four men who really cared. You know, the world does not care about the part of us that matters the most. And yet Jesus does. And, the Bible, and, and as we think about that, we think about perhaps the saying that you've heard that every saint this side of heaven ought to be concerned about every sinner this side of hell. Judas wasn't very good at this. You might remember in John chapter 12 and verse 6 when he saw that ointment that was used on Jesus. He said, uh, shouldn't this have been sold, uh, uh, sold uh, and it could have been brought us 300 pence and have been given for the poor? The Bible says he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the bag and he bare the contents therein. By contrast, one of the great characteristics of a Christian is our genuine concern. Prostitutes and sinful men were drawn to Jesus. And there was a reason why. It was because they sensed that he really cared. Peter would look back on that, this one that had followed Jesus so long, and he said, cast your cares on him because he cares. 
In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, you can hear the sincerity of Jesus when he says, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. The early church was characterized by their care for one another. Do you remember on one occasion in Acts chapter 11 and verse 27, the Bible says that there were prophets coming from Jerusalem and they were at Antioch. And one of them was Agabus who said that there was going to be a famine in all the world which came to pass during the reign of Claudius Caesar. And the very next verse says that each saint according to his ability gave for the relief of the saints in Judea and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The early church had compassion and they cared. Now if you look at this particular occasion in Mark chapter 2, even though all the others rushed to see Jesus and unwittingly forgot this man, there were four men who remembered him and brought him to Jesus. But then third, these men were heroes because they were four men whose love moved them to act. I remember growing up in the rural south that there were often these signs that would say, slow church zone. And I think the idea behind that is that there's a, a church building ahead, so you need to drive through with great care. But could it ever be that sometimes that churches might need that sign figuratively placed because they're slow to act and to do good works? These four men would not have fit in in the congregation like that because they were quick to allow their concern and their care to move them to action. These four men stepped in and they did something for that paralyzed man. And love is going to move us to act too and not just feel something and profess something. As we look in the Bible, we see that often stressed to us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees a brother in need and shuts up his heart of compassion against him, how does the love of God dwell in him? My brethren, let us not love in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. Jesus said that our love will show itself through obedience in John 14 and verse 15. And John says, in this the love of God is manifested, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 5 and verse 3. In John three sixteen, the Bible says that God loved, but He showed it by what He did, He gave. And so we see love in action. Paul says, in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything, but faith which works by love, Galatians 5 and verse 6. You know, we talk about returning to the doctrine and the commandments of the New Testament, but we also need to make sure that we're constantly restoring the zeal, the fervor, and the enthusiasm of the early church. McDonald's and Walmart has, uh, both have a very a firm grip on our society, and they offer three things, essentially. They're three traits. They're cheap, they're easy, and they're fast. But that doesn't describe the Christian life. Jesus showed us what it cost in Christianity by giving up his life. And he tells us to do the same. Sometimes living the Christian life is not an easy thing to do. It requires our patience and our endurance. But we see in these four men that they were men who acted because their love prompted them to do so. But then in the fourth place we find that these men are heroes because they were four men who worked together. One of the most interesting and profound accounts of the Old Testament to me is the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. The work had been frustrated. It had been stopped. The Samaritans and other groups were against the completion of this work. And, and here we find these men so quickly, in 52 days, completing this work. And they did it so fast because they worked together. 
And Agur says in Proverbs 30 and verse 27 that the locusts have no king, but they advance together in ranks. And of course, Paul is often trying to stress this importance of working together. In Romans, he does so. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, he says that we were all baptized into one spirit. Whether Jew or Greek, whether bond or free, and all were made to partake of one spirit. He says, but the body is not one member, but many. And then he begins to give examples with regard to that. If he says that the foot should say, I'm not the hand, and I'm therefore not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not of the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were an ear, where would the smelling be? But God has arranged us in the body exactly as it pleased Him. And so there's no place for competition in the body of Christ. Instead, it's about cooperation. And that word cooperation, incidentally, is a compound of two words. Co meaning with in the Latin and operani meaning to work. The idea in cooperation is that we work with one another. And we can do great things when we work together with one another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, We then, as workers together with Him, beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, we are laborers together with God. We're God's field. We're God's building. Here are four men. Now, it must have taken four men, and four men came together to get this done. But then also, these men are heroes because they were four men who would not be stopped. On one occasion, Rocky Marciano was asked the secret behind his success as a boxer. And he said famously, always go one more round. You know, the Bible encourages us to develop the quality of stick to if you will. For these four men, there was no limit to which they would not go. For all the bad things that we can say about the Pharisees, there was one thing that was worthy of our imitation. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 15, he says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to find one convert. When you've made him, you make him twofold, the child of hell as yourself. Well, that's not the part that we imitate, but there are some things about their tactics that would be helpful for us to remember. Number one, they went all out. They pulled out all the stops. But not only that, they were interested in the individual. They drilled down and they focused on that one. And they were tenacious in their pursuit of them. But then third, they sought to duplicate themselves. They realized if they were going to continue to exist, they had to find others as well as and to think like themselves. Sadly, they did this to to produce another enemy of Christ. But we can take the same attitude or demeanor, that is, of going after one individually and going all out, And increase the body of Christ. As we look at these men, at least on this occasion, they were not weary in well-doing. I don't know how heavy that man was. And I know that four people made the job a lot easier. But I recall on several occasions having helped those that seemed relatively small be baptized by carrying a chair into the baptistry. And that's a pretty heavy job. But they kept going. They would not be stopped no matter what. Kent was not in their vocabulary, apparently. But then also, as we look at these men, they were heroes because they were four men who wanted to share Christ with a friend. Friendship evangelism is the lifeline of the church. And it's always been that way. 
In John chapter 1, verse 40 through 51, we have two cases in point. And the first was John the Baptist's disciple, a, a man by the name of Andrew. And he was pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. And the text says that he first went and found his brother, Simon Peter, and he brought him to Jesus. And you might remember that later on in verse 45 and 46 that Philip finds Nathanael. And he says, I have found the Messiah, the one that Moses spoke of in the law and that was spoken of in the prophets. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip didn't debate him. He wasn't discouraged. He simply said, come and see. I wish that I could have an accurate understanding of this statistically. But I would imagine that if we were to try to poll and find out why many of you are members of the body of Christ, it would come out that you were won by a friend or a neighbor or a co-worker or a spouse. And if it wasn't you, it might have been your parents. But you see, that's how the church grows. And as we look at these men, they were men who brought someone to Jesus They brought him into the presence of Jesus. And there's two important things for us to note with regard to this. That number one, what the friends could not do, Jesus could do. They could not heal him or forgive his sins. But they could get him in a position to where Jesus could do what they could not do. But also in bringing this man to Jesus, they themselves were brought closer to Jesus. And so it impresses us and we count them as heroes. Now, as we look at this particular occasion, we also understand that there were some stumbling blocks and there were some hindrances. There were passive hindrances, not necessarily those who were working against them, but those were the ones that did not do anything. They didn't bring this man to Jesus. But there were also the active critics, the cynics, the one who reasoned in their hearts, who thought of Jesus as a blasphemer and who tried to work against him and what he was trying to do. Their modern day counterpart might be the one who says, you go ahead and then I will tell you what you're doing wrong. You know, usually the critic, not always, but a lot of times the critic is the one who's not doing much of anything else. But these four men are our heroes. You know, their names aren't given to us. And I wonder, though the text doesn't tell us, If any of these men ever show up, emerge later as somebody who is named for us. If these men live faithfully unto death, then someday we may get to meet them and thank them for the example that they left us. But I know a lot of people who are following in their steps today. Unnamed heroes. Some call them silent soldiers. Those who thrive in working behind the scenes. You can see them here at the building a lot of times Monday through Saturday or gathering together here to go out and make visits to those who are sick in the hospital or who have visited our assemblies. They are down in the trenches in the Bible classrooms Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday. They're moms and dads who are trudging along week after week and year after year in the home raising faithful children. There are also those who are willing to get out and to teach a lost soul about Jesus. So many unnamed heroes who have made the church great. So they are those to whom we should look up. To whom we should imitate or, or that we should imitate. Because of what we see in this text. These men are heroes because they forgot themselves in bringing this man to Jesus. They were heroes because they really cared 
They cared enough to go to the great difficulties to get this man to Jesus. And they had a love that moved them to action on behalf of the good of this man. And these men are heroes because they worked together to get the job done. They were also our heroes because they would not be stopped no matter what. And they were heroes because they wanted to share Jesus with a friend. This week we have the ability to imitate these men in some way in bringing someone closer to Jesus. May we imitate what we see, these great qualities in them. Tonight it may be that you have not yet come to Jesus yourself. You may want that opportunity. We're going to give that to you through the singing of this song of encouragement. And if you need to become a follower of Christ, a disciple, a a Christian, then we want to give you that opportunity to act on your faith and obedience by repentance and baptism. And if you're one who has gone away from Jesus and need to come back home to Him, why not choose that right now as together we stand and sing this song?